there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to season two of Living the Sky Life. Today's guest on Living the Sky Life is Stephanie Hanrahan. Uh, Stephanie is someone who I have followed for a while, and I feel like I know her already, so I was really excited to actually get the chance to talk to her. Um, Stephanie um, was just your seemingly average housewife until she grew tired of pretending and decided to make her private journal public. Since sharing her story, Stephanie has achieved viral success with her website, Tinkles Her Pants, which chronicles her journey as wife to a husband with chronic illness, mother to special needs children, and a woman who often unravels, then finds her footing again. She can be found leaking nothing but the truth on the Today Show, CNN, Yahoo News, Google, The Daily Mail, and most recently, her TEDx talk, The Problem with Being Perfect. Stephanie is also a founding board member of the nonprofit Labeled and Loved, which provides online resources and connective in-person experiences for special needs families, as well as the host of the Labeled and Loved podcast. We have a lot to unpack. We had some technical issues. My Zoom kind of crashed midway through and there was some um, connection problems. So hopefully it all sounds okay, but I apologize in advance if there are any glitches with the um, technology that you'll hear. Thank you and enjoy this episode. So welcome back to Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Stephanie Hanrahan. You guys probably know her as Tinkles in Her Pants. Did I say that correctly? Tinkles Her Pants. <laughs> Tinkles Her Pants. See? Yeah. <laughs> I messed it up. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you. I only I only correct you because um, very early on we learned if you don't get it exactly right um, in a Google search, you will get all sorts of things that you don't want to see. Oh, that would probably be the so, case. <laughs> tinkles her pants, is it? <laughs> okay, perfect. Yes, um, I definitely didn't know anybody would be listening when I, uh, or watching when I chose that name. So thank you for having yeah. me. Did you have to struggle when you applied for that name? Were there a lot that were similar? I can't imagine. Sure there wasn't. Nope. <laughs> well, that's just good. Me. Well, how did that name come to be? I'm sure people ask you that all the time, but I'm just curious. Yeah, so um, I live for those moments that make you laugh so hard you leak a little, right? Yep. We're all we're all women and mothers, and and those deep belly laughs with your best friends are just kind of those moments that I strive for in life. But this is the thing: real life is not always like that. Real life is hard, and real life deserves to be done with real people. And so, tinkles her pants was my attempt to find my people. I'm like, here I am. I'm just gonna laugh and cry and leak along with you, um, and. <laughs> And like I said, I thought maybe five friends or family would would read this when I chose that name. I didn't know later on it would go on CNN and be Tinkles Her Pants, but now it's me, right? I'm, I'm Tinkles, so it's fitting. Well, that's good that you own it and you embrace it. I love it. <laughs> There's no hiding. Well, that's I right. mean, you describe your your life as super colorful and that you're an open book for the most part. Um, I just kind of want to touch base about the experiences that have made you 
the mom, the wife, the adult, and everything that you are today. Um, so we can maybe let's start with your journey into motherhood. I know it's kind of been a, a rocky road for you and you're very open about your experiences um, and how Campbell and Eli came into the world. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I just was one of those, um, I guess, even as a child, I was just one of those people who was going to have to go through a lot of trial and overcome and trial and overcome. And so when I say colorful, it's just a very nice way of saying life has been really hard for me. And so, um, you know, I'm a survivor of abuse and statutory rape. I've had cancer twice. Um, I had a significant other who passed away. That was all by the age of 25. So when I met my husband at 25, he was the most steady, constant man, just one of those really great guys that, you know, shows up when he says he's going to and really brought, brought a lot of consistency to a life for me that was a lot of up and down. So um, it was wonderful. And we married. And I just remember thinking like, this is it. Now it's my time to coast. You know, the white night is here and everything's going to be easy. And so I've paid my dues, right? that wasn't exactly the case. You know, we tried to conceive our children and I had two miscarriages, which I kind of suffered through those alone because under, you know, at that point in my life, I was under the impression that, you know, we are to keep our secrets close to our heart and we're supposed to shame those messy moments away. And of course, later I would find out those are actually your connective tissue. Um, and so many women go through some of the, so many of the things that I've been through. But at the time, I didn't know that. And so I kind of um, struggled to conceive. And we finally eventually had our daughter, Campbell. And then two years later, our son, Eli. And then I really thought, okay, now this is it, right? Put up the white picket fence. I've got the boy. I've got the girl. I've got the husband. I've got the life. And then in the summer of 2016, all of that would change. <laughs> yeah. And was that with your husband and his illness? Yeah, so my husband is a former athlete, just to kind of paint the visual picture for people. Mm -hmm. He's six foot three, the epitome of physical health. And um, our daughter was two, our son was six weeks old. And I woke one Saturday morning to find my husband unresponsive on our bedroom floor. And come to find out he has a really, really rare uh, heart condition. His heart's three times as thick as it should be. It's just overworked and overtired and just prone to giving out. And that's what it did that Saturday morning. Um, and he fell when he got out of bed, um, when he flatlined and actually broke his back during the fall. And that actually turns out to be uh, why I'm not a widow right now. The jolt of breaking his spine restarted his heart. It saved him. And um, we have a very long road ahead of us, which has included two more flatlines and a transplant to come. But um, he is alive. We are mostly well, but life just continued to kind of shift and change that year. It was one of those really banner years that um, stick out in your mind for not the best of reasons, because shortly after uh, that was happening with my husband and we were learning our way around heart disease, my daughter was then diagnosed with autism and then very soon after my son as well. So complete demolition and rebuild of my faith and family. It's, yeah, it's crazy. And I, I want to get into a little bit about um, faith um, in there too. But, you know, with all of that going on, I, I was curious because I know that both of your children, as you mentioned, are on the spectrum. How did you at least identify that maybe um, Campbell was, um, 
was she delayed developmentally? Were there signs that you kind of just your mother's intuition took over and you felt that you needed to get some answers and a possible diagnosis of some kind for her? Yeah, she so Campbell presents totally differently than my son. And um, she was a very early talker. Um, I'm talking like complete sentences by the time she was 13 months old. Um, she was brilliant in the sense that she could count by fives and tens and she could, um, you know, um, but as she was approaching about 18 months, um, her behavior was growing more rigid. So she'd have these really extreme breakdowns to simple things falling out of place, like a lost Happy Meal toy or her favorite episode of Daniel Tiger getting erased, um, just these massive breakdowns. And we noticed, you know, she started, she was always talking, but it was more scripting than free thought. So um, she would remember things from library books we rented six months ago and apply them appropriately, but it wasn't her own thought. And so all of those were little red flags for me. And then by the time um, Christmas rolled around, she was 18, 19 months and she was opening her gifts. She started flapping with excitement. And I started noticing in play groups, you know, the other kids around her age would stay near their moms when asked, or um, there'd be some type of joint attention where they would look back for their mom and Campbell would never look back for me. She would just wander away and kind of being in her own little world. So I brought up my concerns to my pediatrician and to friends and family, and they thought I was nuts. <laughs> and um, it wouldn't be confirmed officially until she was three years old that she is indeed on the autism spectrum. Yeah. Has it presented now that she is what she's seven? Has, has there been any other presentation of autism along the way other than some of the same things that she exhibited in childhood? Um, or is she pretty much the same as she was at the age of three, as far as, you know, exhibiting signs. Yeah, it still falls more with the speech has never been delayed in the sense I know people think of delayed speech as lack of words or articulation issues, but for Campbell, it's always pragmatic social speech. So a lot of her echolalia and scripting has really kind of dissolved, but she still really struggles to have conversations, especially with peers. The social game for girls is so unbelievably high at such a young age. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And she doesn't play that game, right? So she's not a small talker. She's not somebody who, um, if she's disinterested in a conversation, she'll, she'll disengage. And so she also really wants to have friends. So she doesn't quite understand why there's this disconnect between her and the other girls. Um, you know, she'll interrupt you sometimes. She'll speak out of turn. She won't give you context. Um, she'll talk at you and not to you. So those are kind of how her speech issues morphed. Um, but now her issues with autism, um, some sensory stuff with eating, um, still a lot of safety concerns, you know, wandering off stranger danger. She'd probably go home with anybody if you asked her to, um, and just real social related things, you know, understanding the cues that come so naturally to many of us do not come naturally to Campbell. It'd be hard as a little girl too, and then going into her teen years and stuff because of those social cues sometimes that they maybe miss, um, or just even like the emotion that comes along with, um, you know, she's not there yet, but when puberty comes along, um, I just kind of wonder, you know, how she will be with, you know, translating all that stuff, all that emotion to herself and to be able to explain to you how she's feeling. That's, that's probably a challenge with girls. I only have a son on the spectrum, so I don't yeah. necessarily know 
Oh, absolutely. And I think there's like a staggering statistic that 80% of girls with disabilities will face some sort of sexual um, violence or um, harm. And so that just, you know, echoes in my ears at night about how do you prepare? Because, you know, for, for typically developing girls, it's even a challenge. But if, you know, a boy were to say to you and I, hey, come over and help me with my homework, we might be able to read wait a second, he doesn't need help with his homework. Like his, like we don't even have homework today. I'm not going to go put myself in that position. But for Campbell, she takes it so literally, she, of yeah. course she would go and help anybody. So there's a lot to be um, taught and we're still at the beginning stages of how do you teach that? Because conversation and, and people are so variable. It's not like we can give her a black and white script to follow of if this happens, then you do this. So we're working you don't want to scare it. her, and you know, you I mean, her. that's the hard part. You, you lose that innocent, sweet personality of making yeah. her afraid of everyone. So it's, it's like a really fine line, as you said, I mean, that that's a challenge for sure. Yeah, um, I agree. So as far as Eli goes, then was it, you said it's different. He's, is he at a different end of the spectrum or is he just present completely differently than your daughter? He presents so differently. And, you know, it's funny, <laughs> two kids, two kids, same genetics, same household as so you, you know, the nature versus nurture to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're so different. I mean, his speech issues are more of that characteristic. He was delayed in speech. He still has articulation issues. He had more problems with self-regulation. So self-harm and, um, you know, some of the behavioral issues that come from not being able to verbalize your emotions or how you're feeling and, um, he is Campbell has like that secondary anxiety component where Eli has that more OCD control, um, component to his behavior. So, you know, when he was two and three, it used to be, um, you know, if we were out in public, he had to be the one to close the door, which is a challenge if you're like at church or at the mall or something where there's a high frequency of people passing through, there wasn't an end point. And if you broke that that uh, routine of his, it was just, you know, unbearable for him. And so we've, we've edged out of a lot of that, but he still has a lot of issues with control, needing to feel in control and being a little bit more rigid. Whereas Campbell's like, Hey, I'll go into any so social situation and um, find my bearings where Eli needs a lot more priming and preparation and, and, and can't thrive unassisted. Did he, um, was his diagnosis earlier than hers um, in his life? Because you probably were watching him like a hawk yes. and just kind of, you know, checking off things like, oh, here we go again. Yes, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think by six months old or eight months old, when um, I, I would notice things like, you know, he wouldn't stick his hand into a, a snack bag, like the foil was bothersome to him and the idea of pulling food, it was just little slight things where it's like one or two isolated things does not equal autism. I don't want to scare parents into thinking that, but of course my antennas are up knowing that it can run in families. And so, um, he was about 18 months when we um, enlisted early childhood for his speech. And I kept saying to them, I think he has autism too. And of course they couldn't confirm or deny it, but I then took him to a developmental pediatrician. And um, um, so by two, he got his official diagnosis. So you've mentioned before, um, you know, just on your social media on Tinkles Her Pants, um, that you started a private journal. Um, did you start that back when the kids were little or before 
um, you had kids and then you decided to kind of make all of that public, which is how most of us know you now. So what, what kind of started the journaling and, and then your decision to share it all? Well, I actually started um, that particular journal the day my daughter was diagnosed. Um, it was, we all remember diagnosis day. Mm -hmm. It's a hard one. Um, even if you have your suspicions, that confirmation is heavy. And so um, I had come home, put her down for a nap and just ran into my bedroom and buried my head in a pillow and just cried. And and then I went searching for a paper journal because I have journaled my entire life um, and couldn't find one. So I picked up my phone and I did not have Instagram at the time, but I knew that was kind of the new thing and all the rage a few years ago. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to start an Instagram and use it as a journal. I always have my phone with me. The app is easy to use. I can post a real picture, not some curated, you know, false image of who I am. And, um, and so I did, I didn't tell my husband about it. I didn't want friends. I didn't want followers. I just wanted a space to be myself. And so if you scroll back to that very, you know, first post, it is diagnosis day. It's me with these like dark circles under my eyes from crying so much and just Campbell in my arms and she's just happy as can be. She has no idea what's going on. And, um, so yeah, I journaled privately to myself for two years before I decided to make it public. And, um, it is the same Instagram account I still use for, for tinkles, her pants. I'm just writing, um, the same way as, as if no one's watching, but now there's eyes on it. Yeah. I'm sure it's, I mean, at least for me, the writing is cathartic and I, sometimes I say things and I think, gosh, is that too honest? Like, you know, especially if I'm having a really hard day with my son or just kind of just overwhelmed with my job and, and taking care of him and everything that is on the plate of a mom a lot of times. And, um, and I, and I worry now that a lot of my blogging is public and my writing is public. I worry about what people are going to say. And I hate that because I, I don't want it to change how honest I am and I mean, I think that's hopefully what gravitates people to me is that I am honest. I don't sugarcoat anything and I don't act like I've got it all figured out because I don't. And that's what I appreciate in your writing and so many others that I follow. Um, do, does that creep into your mind sometimes or do you get any negativity from things that you post? Well, I'll tell you, I have a rule. So the, you know, the very first week I launched, um, two of my articles were picked up by major publications and you know, that feeling, cause I have to say, you know, I wasn't a writer by mm -hmm. trade. I was a labor and delivery nurse. And so, but I'd always secretly wanted to be a writer. I knew I was really good at it growing up, but it was such an unstable profession. And I had to put myself through college that I was like, forget it. I'm just going to go into nursing. So I, you know, was so excited, like, oh, I, here I am, I'm sharing my truth. And all these people are saying me too, me too. And mm -hmm. now these publications want to put me on, you know, on their site. And so I stayed up all night and I was watching, you know, the comments pour in and <laughs> it was like my first dose of reality of what the online world looked like. Cause I was not big on social media prior to this. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, people were saying you're lovely and people were saying the exact opposite and much worse. And so, so, um, and that was a very, like, very not taboo topic. I think that was even picked up at that point. I talk way more openly about way more, you know, polarizing things now, but, um, 
from that day forward, I have never read a single comment on any of my publications, not a single one, mm-hmm. whether it's the Today Show or TED Talk or anything, because my responsibility is to release my truth. My mm-hmm. responsibility is not to manage response. I don't need to be a lawyer for the comment section. I just don't have it in me. And honestly, it would not be good for my mental health because I would either feel the need to defend myself and be like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. You don't understand. And there's not enough characters to explain my character. And so I just let it lie. I release my truth. And if I know I'm standing on the right side of my truth, then I've done my job. And as far as the comments that come to Tinkles, which is my community, those are my people, I've had an overwhelmingly positive experience. And, you know, the other day I was writing about something somewhat controversial and one of my um, followers, I hate that word, but friends of the page Mm -hmm. said, we are choosing to be here. Mm -hmm. It is a choice who you follow on social media. So never be afraid to speak from your heart and say what you want to say. And I never have been. And yeah. so I think that's, that's just boundary setting in the best way mm-hmm. to preserve my sense of self. Yeah. It's almost just write it and then you get it off of your chest and then you move on and then you write something else and people come and go. I mean, I've noticed that my following is small enough that I notice when people drop off and come back and it's like, okay, new people find me every day and yeah, I mean, mom probably leave me. So Yeah. And you don't know the ripple effect of your words. You don't know who they then screenshotted that post to and sent it off to the friend who needed it the most. And that's, you know, if I trace all the way back, that's why I started this to feel less alone. And Mm -hmm. so I have a very set it and forget it kind of attitude with social media. I'm the worst like person to follow back. Like I'm not on social media a lot. Like I post my stuff and then I walk away. It's like a crock pot, like just set it and forget it. Because if I get too consumed with numbers or analytics or follows or who's watching me now, then I'm not doing the work I was called to do, which was just to write and release my truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've watched your TEDx and I think that, um, you know, you touch on that a lot in that talk to just about presentation and social media and, you know, just people thinking the highlight reel is, is realistic for most people's lives. So it, it is nice to use social media as a way to connect with people who are walking similar shoes as you, um, you know, with children on the spectrum and all different levels. I've, that's where I've made the bulk of my friends, I say, because I've never met most of them in real life. It's, uh, you know, only through social media that we've met each other, but it's nice to found my people. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, and, and I think don't discount the value of, of a virtual village mm-hmm. because I mean, I know we're all so eager, especially this last next last year to get back in front of real faces, but at the same time, like you, to your point, I, I feel comforted from people that are in different countries. Like how cool is mm-hmm. that? You know, to, there's someone halfway across the world that is saying, wow, we have different experiences, but our feelings are the same. And so yeah. it's a powerful tool. Yeah, it is. It's very validating for both, both sides. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about um, just faith. And, and I know, again, you've been transparent about finding your faith, losing your faith, all of that stuff. In my book, I have a chapter about that, that it seems to resonate with a lot of people. The, the most feedback that I'm getting, um, well, not the most, but a lot of feedback I'm getting from that chapter is that people have felt the same way and they were I don't know if ashamed is the right word, but to say that they completely lost their faith and they were angry at God or whatever they believe in as a higher power. And they were, um, 
you know, they felt that they were being punished in some way, having children on the spectrum. You've been through a lot of stuff, not just having children diagnosed with autism, but with your husband and everything personally you've gone through. So how did you navigate those waters of, of faith and, and just believing that you're going to make it through all of this and, you know, come yeah. out swimmingly on either side. Maybe you're still thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I am. And I think that's a good point. I, I think that we have to be comfortable if we're going to say that we believe in God, or I'm just going to use the word of God, but take whoever's listening, take that as whatever you believe in and whatever higher power you believe in. But, you know, for me, it's God. And so, um, you know, if I'm going to say that I believe in, in that I have to know that I believe no matter what the outcome. And so I, that's a hard one for me. I'm type a, I'm very, a controlled personality. I like fixed outcomes. I like to know if I put in X amount of work, I'm going to get, you know, Y amount of results. And so with faith, it's tricky for a brain like mine, because um, often when we pray, right, we're praying for the cure or the fix, or let my kids awaken from this autism, right? Or, and maybe those were some of my prayers earlier on. And then I realized that miracles to God don't always look like the cure. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it is, I'm giving you this harder way. And then I feel like what I've learned along my journey is that it is now my job to decipher what is that here to teach me? And who am I supposed to then share that with? Who am I supposed to serve with my story? Mm -hmm. And so that's been the most powerful aspect of, of opening up so candidly is that every single part of my story from the autism to the abuse is now being used. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what the pain was for. It mm -hmm. is purposeful. Um, but that's a really hard thing to get to. And I'm still, some days I'm still not there. I wasn't raised in a, um, you know, go to church every Sunday and pray every night kind of family. Um, it, faith was, was woven throughout, but it wasn't, um, it was still something in my early twenties. I was trying to decipher and learn and, um, and you do get angry with God. And I, I remember, um, finally hearing one day when I was praying, like, that's Okay for you to express disappointment to me, you know, arguably God is the first father in history to have children not turn out as, as planned. Right. I mean, if you go back to the very first story in the Bible, his children, Adam and Eve turned out totally different than <laughs> what he intended. And he had to shift and ebb and flow his plan. And it didn't mean he loved them any less, but it meant that life was different. And so um, you know, it's been learning that God is not somebody who's unreachable to me. It's somebody who hears me and, um, is using me and is mm -hmm. using my pain. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the realizations that seems simple enough, but that I came to, you know, a few years ago, cause it's taken me a long time too. I, I think being type a also, I think many of us probably are, Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why it's a trait that I feel like autism moms have too, Yeah, but, um, I, I my, um, just kind of fall back always was to try to plan everything and control everything. And so when an outcome didn't happen the way that I expected or that I wanted or the way that it should, I was frustrated and I would turn to him, but I would say, you know, why this was perfect. I don't understand why you didn't let me have this or whatever. Always, always it's for the best because something better or something different that was a better fit was always around the corner. I just had to get out of my own way and let him be in charge. And 
it's so hard. Like you said, it's a daily battle to just to let go and let things happen the way that they're supposed to unfold. Because I, even with our diagnosis with our children, I think all of it has a purpose. It, it, we may never know what that is in this lifetime, but there's a reason behind all of it. So if we can share our stories and that makes a difference in someone else's journey, then maybe that was the purpose. I don't know. Oh yeah. And I mean, and speaking very personally, like I, I, when my kids were diagnosed, I wasn't, we weren't really going to church and Mm -hmm. I wasn't, this wasn't a God and faith wasn't an active part of my life. And, and I joined a mops group. I don't know if they have those around you, Mm -hmm. but it's mothers of preschoolers and it they're held in churches, but they're for, you know, anybody, any denomination. And, um, I remember being so desperate to have a break because this was during my husband's heart stuff and the kids were recently diagnosed. And I was like, oh, cool. They offer coffee and childcare. I'm in, I don't care. (laughs) what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I would go to that every other Friday and then the church did such a good job of taking care of my children. I was like, I'm going to sign up for that women's Bible study because (laughs) they meet every week. And that's another break for me. This is exactly how my brain was thinking at the time. Makes sense. Then I was like, I'm going to come on Sundays too. So now I'm getting an extra break. And what ends up happening, I laugh about that now and say it so lightly because, you know, there's this beautiful quote that says you can put truth in a grave, but it doesn't stay there, right? It always rises. And so as I'm going to these meetups and Bible studies, like the truth is like seeping in one day when I pulled over my car after Bible study and just heard God. Like, I can't describe it any other way. It was, it was my voice. Like it was sounding like me, but it wasn't me. And I'm like, I better write this down. Like something is, something's going on here. And it sounds kind of woohoo for people who don't say to me is, you know, and I'll, I'll, I have it memorized because I've read it so many times, but, um, you know, I heard him say in those words, you know, do you want to come into my kingdom? Do you want to spend forever with those babies of yours? And the answer is yes, right? I do. I'm going to need to use them to reach you. Your pain was not enough. You dealt with it alone, but theirs you cannot bear without me. I've used your children as I've used my own son to bring you home forever. And it was in that instant, I understood. I'm like, you're Mm -hmm. so right. I handled every bit of my own pain on my own. I cannot do it without help now. And I want to spend forever with them. So that Mm -hmm. was... That was, I feel like in that moment, autism made sense to me. If they mm-hmm. were typically functioning kids, I might have, might have spent this earth, earthly world with them, but not eternity. Yeah. Gosh, that's so neat to, I mean, you know, I don't know, just all the feels for that to hit you like that. And at that time, and it was probably at the perfect time you needed it, you needed to hear that. Right. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> well, that kind of like, it's not really advice, but if you could share like any tips or encouragement with other moms, I say moms, but any parent really who maybe is just getting the diagnosis, maybe is 10 years in and they still kind of feel like they're on an island. Um, you know, would you recommend some like journaling or if they're not writers, I mean, they don't have to publicize anything. I just, I get asked all the time for advice and like, to what they can plan for. And none of us can plan for anything. So it's kind of healing yourself and figuring out what you can do in this moment. And do you have any words of advice for that? Yeah. I I think whatever space feels like, um, 
an area or opportunity to be your most authentic self, you it is your responsibility to run toward that full force. So for mm -hmm. me, it was writing because that's just been in my bones since I can remember. But for other people, it may be artwork or it may be, um, uh, you know, checking medial tasks off your list, like organizing things or making your bed every morning. I, I don't know what steadies you and what calms you and what feels like the space to be your truest self, but whatever it is, you run toward it. And, um, you know, I always say you can share on a page, you can share on a stage. I don't care where you do it, just have an opportunity to be yourself. So if there's nobody within your inner circle that can feel like, you know, safe for you to do that, then you go see a therapist and, um, or you find a virtual village like we've done and we've created. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I'm part of a nonprofit now called Labeled in Love that provides great mm -hmm. spaces for, for moms to meet virtually. And um, those are going to be your best bet at a judgment-free zone. You know, I, I took a very bold risk and opened my story up publicly, but that's not for everybody. Um, and, but wherever it is and whoever it is that you have, um, you trust and you may only trust yourself right now and maybe not even that. So get practice at being your realest self, write it down and don't be ashamed of the thoughts. Don't shame it away. The worst thing we can do is attach shame. If you're upset about your child's diagnosis and you're angry, then those are real true feelings. And we don't want to sit in those feelings forever, but we want to be honest about them so we can process through them. Yeah. And even their behavior, there's days yeah. when I'm very angry at the behaviors. Yes. I don't know if I'm angry at my child or if I'm angry at the behaviors, but I'm angry. angry. So it's yeah. normal and it's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the whole grieving process is not linear. I don't think there's a start and an end. I think for me, it comes mm -hmm. in waves. So there's times I'm doing well and I'm at the top of the mountain. And there's sometimes I need to be pulled out of the pit and we all take our turn needing help. So the more you can be honest about needing that help and expressing it, especially to yourself, the better you'll be. Yeah. Well, I greatly appreciate you taking the time yeah, to course. talk and sorry we had some Zoom issues and whatever, and <laughs> hopefully everything comes out clear, but um, yeah, I really appreciate it. And um, I don't know if there's still spaces available in the um, women's retreat for Labeled and Loved. Um, yes. But yeah, we have a few. You want to take a chance Absolutely. to plug that? Absolutely. <laughs> so we have a women's um, weekend retreat. That's our big annual retreat um, coming up in October in San Antonio, Texas on the Riverwalk. And Jen Hatmaker is going to be our keynote speaker. We also have several um, other incredible speakers within the special needs community. Um, it is a an event for special needs moms thrown by special needs moms. So I'd like to think that we get it and we're going to get it right for you. So there's, you know, breakout sessions and coffee and chocolate chats, and we're going to do a riverboat cruise. And it's just going to be a time for you to be cared for as the caretaker, because often as we know, <laughs> caregiver uh -huh. fatigue is the real deal and so um we'd love to see you there and if you can't make an in-person retreat we do free moms mingles which are virtual events throughout the year for moms to connect come together online play games have fun um and we do sisterhood circles where you can almost have um you know we're gonna have small groups and led by a mentor mom who is, has been there and been through it and has come into the other side. So those are starting soon. So lots of opportunities to connect. So please do so. Yeah. And it's um, the best way is through the Labeled in Love Facebook page. Yes. Labeledinlove.org. Right? Okay. Um, and we are at Labeled in Love on Facebook and Instagram. Or if you go to Tinkles or Pants, I have a whole section of it on my page as well. 
Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. so much, Stephanie. It was so good to talk to you. Same. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.